I'm Bill. I'm T-Dog. And this is Two, two Films, films Too Curious. curious. Except it's a special version um, and it is actually I have a very special guest right we do it is actually two films three curious wait we're supposed to say that <laughs> all together it's actually one two three two, two films, films three, three curious, curious. oh <laughs> with special guest the other Bill Mike Sell. <laughs> one of the other one of the other Bill one Mike Sells right there are many there are yes so as a note I guess for clarity um, there are six people named Bill in my family and we all like the name Bill. So if you hear someone say Will, they mean me. And Bill means... Bill means this Bill, my dad. Yes. If I say dad, I mean that Bill. Right. If I say dad, I mean you. It's <laughs> it's weird, but it's sexy, you know? It's like nice. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> this past, like the past couple of weeks, we watched two movies, Platoon and The Last Temptation of Christ. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about messianic figures in film. Yes. Do you have a definition for us? Oh, no. Just because. We all know. Yeah, I just wrote that they're very common. They are, yeah. It's a common, it, just a messiah story or a Christ figure is very common. Right. And it's very, you know, popular story. Not just makes Jesus. Sense given Christianity's popularity right. in the world. Could be like Superman. Or just like they say in Jesus Christ Superstar, you Jews produce messiahs by the sackful. Yes. There's a lot of messiahs. They can get famous there. by, you know, a catchy sermon or a flashy spell. There's always. Martyr. The idea of a martyr is always compelling. Obi Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Neo. Mm-hmm. Jesus. The musician. Jesus. The musician. <laughs> So, anyways, uh, we should. I guess we should summarize them. Dad, do you want to summarize Platoon? Okay, my my summary of Platoon is blatantly stolen from well, Wikipedia. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> I often to have to use sum up, no names. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> to sum up, we are uh, in Platoon. We're watching main character Chris Taylor, who has arrived in South Vietnam in 1967 uh, as an infantry soldier near the Cambodian border. Uh, he is part of a group led by Lieutenant Wolf, but Lieutenant Wolf defers to uh, Sergeant Barnes, who is. Um, oh, I can do this. Is that Tom Berenger? It is it's okay. Tom Berenger. And Sergeant Elias, who is Willem Dafoe. Right. Uh, not too long after being there, they go out on a. Um, what's supposed to be a, an ambush, but they get become ambushed by North Vietnamese Army soldiers. Uh, one of the other new recruits that had arrived the same day dies in the firefight, and uh, Chris Taylor is also wounded and um, sent off to the hospital. When he returns from the hospital, uh, he's still very supportive of the concept of Sergeant Burns, but recognizes that there's essentially two groups and um, finds himself increasingly falling in with Sergeant Elias's group, which is the less strict, but as we look back on Vietnam, quite possibly the more traditional uh, image of a Vietnam yeah. soldier, right. marijuana smoking, sure. that kind of stu- stuff. Whereas Barnes and his group tend to hang out in the barracks and um, play cards and right. Right. smoke and drink. They go smoke out on a, regular cigarettes. cigarettes. Yeah, right. right. No, not, not jazz cigarettes. They uh, they go out on a patrol, um, mm-hmm. and not to give away too much because spoiler alert, it is the best jump in the film. Um, things occur. The overall outcome being that um, there's a recognition that that the American soldiers are actually quite vulnerable. They discover a, a series of Vietnamese North Vietnamese tunnels. Uh, and wind up in a village where we're just in raw frustration and anxiety and fear and whatever. Um, the platoon essentially just devastates the, the village. Each one of the people mm-hmm. acting out in um, different uncontrolled ways it winds up that just about every adult in the village is killed. Um, the kids are then relocated back to um, to the main headquarters for the American forces, 
but the city is the village is burned to the ground. Um, an interesting follow-up from that is that the captain for the the group indicates that there will be a court-martial if his research indicates that people were out of line in the village, which now, in terms of the storyline, because um, Barnes was with the group that was inappropriate in the village and mm-hmm. Elias was the one that called him on it, sets the two sergeants um, as, as definite opposites uh, and, and oppositional in terms of their behavior with each other. The... Um, the group, the platoon, finds itself out on another uh, event where they are pinned down in a gunfight. The lieutenant accidentally calls an artillery that winds up, well, intentionally calls an artillery, but accidentally has it dropped on his own men. Yep. Uh, lieutenant, no, Sergeant Elias sees an opportunity to flank the North Vietnamese Army, takes off the small group of individuals, and um, in the process, winds up face-to-face alone with Barnes, who, spoiler alert, shoots Elias. Um, Chris Taylor, attempting to find Elias and, and help him survive this event, uh, runs into Barnes. Barnes tells him that Elias has been killed by the North Vietnamese. Only He's to definitely find out. dead. Is right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Adamant about it. Right. Only to find out as they're leaving on helicopter that Elias is actually severely wounded but alive and running from North Vietnamese troops, but there's no safe way to be able to return and get Elias. Um, Taylor is convinced that Barnes is the reason that that this has happened to Elias and that likely was the one that shot Elias in the first place. Uh, all of this then leads to a final showdown, a defense maneuver, uh, where now we have a much larger American force and a much larger North Vietnamese force. Taylor is in a, um, a foxhole, uh, just completely crazy, but the mm-hmm. outcome is that artillery is again called in almost in a suicide mission this time, where anything and everything gets hit. Taylor lives through it, but comes face to face with Barnes, and while Barnes is ordering him to get a medic, Taylor refuses. Barnes at that point orders him to just shoot him, sort of a challenge to to show him his weakness, and Taylor in fact does. Um, Taylor being severely wounded through all of this is then loaded on a helicopter and sent back to home. Most of the film's insight, emotional insight, is actually done through what are audio dictations of a letter or a series of letters that are being sent to his grandmother. Although he mentions his parents, the letters themselves are um, sort of commentary on his experience and, again, being addressed to his grandmother. All right. Do you have anything? Sure. Yeah. Oh, no. Do that, you have anything that, yeah, no, it's pretty. That was the movie. Yeah. It was a good movie. It was. Uh, Last Temptation of Christ is uh, kind of the biblical story of Christ. Um, it starts when he's an adult, but before he fully realizes he his, his right his calling. Um, and he's not really well-liked in the community because he's been building crosses because he's the only Jewish man in the area that will. He's building crosses for the Romans. And Judas actually confronts him and says, why, are you, why do you hate your own people? Um, while he's doing this, he's also uh, plagued by nightmares and painful visions um, and finally decides after talking with Mary Magdalene, his friend from childhood, that he needs to go in the desert and study. And he does, and he gets there, and a man is like, hey, what's up? And she's like, hey, is there something going on here in this monastery? And he's like, the head of the monastery died. And she's like, oh, that's a bummer. And then they, like, Jesus falls asleep and has this vision and then when he wakes up the next day, the man is dead. And they're like, oh, I just talked to him last night. He's like, no, he's been dead for weeks. Spooky. Yeah. Uh, but then Jesus realizes that he needs to follow. He, he is the Messiah, that he needs to follow God's plan. And Judas actually shows up and was sent by high up members 
in the Jewish community to kill Jesus. And Jesus is like, fine, then kill me. Like, I've, I realize now I need to follow, I need to follow God's plan. And if this is it, then do it. And Jesus is like, nah, I can't do that. And so he decides to follow Jesus and see what's up. Jesus <clears throat> then acquires many disciples mm-hmm. and starts teaching uh, and doing miracles, although out of order. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they skip some too. He's right. Walk on water. Yeah. Um, and then uh, people are skeptical at first, but some start to follow him. Uh, and uh, a lot of them assume that he's going to, you know, overthrow the Roman government. But then he's like, no, that's not what I'm here for. He goes into the desert again and is tempted by Satan um, and comes out with a newfound plan to go to Jerusalem where he is angry at the temple for money changing and says he's going to come back in a week and tear the temple down and he comes back and doesn't and people are like oh he's a fraud but he's like no apparently this isn't the plan and then he tells Judas that he had a vision where Judas or he needed to die and Judas needs to be the one to betray him and Judas is like, I can't do that. We're buddies now. And he's like, no, you have to. You told me that you would. You have to. And so Judas betrays him, quote unquote, I guess if you ask them to betray you, you're not technically being betrayed. But whatever. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he, you know, goes through the trial, is nailed to the cross, and an angel shows up and says, Jesus, you can come down now. You've done what you need to do. God is pleased with what you've done. You don't have to die for this. You've suffered enough. And she's like, are you sure? And she's like, yes, like, come down. And so he comes down off the cross. People are still mourning, but Jesus comes down off the cross. They don't, I mean, they don't see him. It's like a right. magic thing. And she shows him the world <clears throat> and he, he, like, they continue walking and they see a wedding and he's like, whose wedding is this? And the angel's like, it's your wedding. And he marries Mary Magdalene, um, who is then pregnant with his baby, but then she dies and the angel's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I should have been here, and I'm sorry. But, but there's a couple of other Marys in this city. Yeah. And you can go see this other Mary. And he marries that Mary. And then he has some kids. And he go, he gets old. And then Jerusalem's on fire. Yep, and Romans some disciples, yeah. They're like, nah, <laughs> fuck this noise. And the disciples show up, and they're like, hey, Jesus, you didn't die. And Judas is really mad about that. He's like, you were supposed to die. Like, you've, you've, you've ruined it. Um, and so Jesus, is, he finally realizes that something has gone wrong, and the angel turns into Satan. Well, a pillar it's of fire. He's been Satan all along. He's been Satan all along. And so then Jesus crawls back to the cross and is like, no, I need to die. Please, I know what I need to do now. And then it cuts, and he's on the cross, and he says it is accomplished. And Peter Gabriel plays weird music, and he dies. Peter Gabriel was there. He was there the entire time. Mm-hmm. Gabriel. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> Just the archangel... Andrew, Disciple Peter, yeah, Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel. Right. There you go. They mean, for the sake of brevity, they merge a couple of characters. <laughs> yeah. As you movie. do in things when like you, this. When you adapt a book, you have to do that. Right. So is that? Do you? Are, is there anything that you guys need to think needs to be added to that description? So. Okay. No. All right. Well, I think that if we're going to talk about similarities and differences next, the first most important similarity. I don't know if you guys caught this. Willem Dafoe is in both of them. <laughs> And he is the Christ figure in both of them. In theory. <laughs> but yes, he is in both of them. That's one of the full threads that tie them together. It is. The initial threads. Right. <clears throat> one of the things I wrote for how they're similar is that in both you have like the outcasts, the bottom of the barrel people. Like I think um, in Platoon, he talks about, he's like, the people that are here are poor disenfranchised right, like right. people that are in this war are not people that were just like I'm gonna fight for my country it's, there's a draft and right. everything else they're not and smart how, they're not successful I have that written down as well yeah and that <clears throat> it turns out in the last temptation of Christ that Jesus the guy who makes the crosses for the Romans like the in that society the absolute bottom of the barrel right. is ultimately the one that that is fighting for People, right. The people. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. They they say that in the thing. Yeah. yeah, I think that yeah that as they're as he's writing in platoon as as Charlie Sheen's character is writing about the kinds of people that he's working with, it sounds very much like they're going down the list of the Beatitudes. They're not 
they're they're yeah. poor, they're weak, they're not well. And in fact, I think that the group that aligns themselves with Elias, with Willem Dafoe's character in Platoon, are also not they're not proud necessarily. And I think that the arrogance of Tom Berenger's group is another thing that sets the two of those groups apart. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, next one I have is, and this um, Taylor explicitly mentions at the his little voiceover at the very end of the movie is that one of the other um, people in the platoon had told him that Elias and Barnes were fighting for possession of Taylor's soul. Yeah. That it's like the angel and the devil on the shoulder. Type yeah. Thing. Um, that Taylor ultimately stumbles, especially in that village when he kind of loses his temper. He's shooting at the ground, making that guy dance. Like he, he's very obviously troubled by everything, but ultimately, in the end, aligns himself with the quote-unquote correct side, right. the good guys. Um, the same way that it's like the whole point of Last Temptation that Jesus fumbles while he's on the cross. Right. That he he's like, oh, okay, I'm done. Yeah, this is good. Yeah. And it ultimately, makes up for that and does the right thing. I think it's interesting. I, there's a, a line that I wrote down from Platoon where when um, Tom Berenger, it's before they destroy the village, but he does something vengeful. I can't mm-hmm. remember what. I think it may have been after um, the incident that led them to the tunnels that uh, he says something about vengeance and, and Charlie Sheen's character says something about we loved him today. That the idea of vengeance or right unholy retribution is something that they thought of as positive immediately but in the end was not helpful Mm do you have any similarities to to share let's see um i find it interesting that both films are driven by a certain amount of narration yeah Mm -hmm. but the the narrator in Platoon is not the Christ character. Right. Whereas, yeah. obviously, in... in Well, obviously, I say obviously that that doesn't have to be. It could have been Judas. But in Last Temptation of Christ, the narrator is is Jesus. Yeah. Um, in both cases, we are using the insight provided in the, narr- in the narrator's story to recognize the changes that these two individuals are going through um, so that neither of them are static individuals there's a lot of development occurring mm-hmm. but that you would miss a lot of what that development is if it hadn't been for the narration which is interesting that you say that because in platoon the Christ character if we agree that the Christ character in platoon is Willem Dafoe does not change. I mean, apart from the fact that he dies, which I guess is a pretty big change. <laughs> but his personality, his character doesn't change. Mm-hmm. In Last Temptation, you see through the eyes of Jesus that Judas changed. But the whole point of the movie is that Jesus changes. Yes. So I I noticed that also um, both films seem to want to encourage a certain literary approach yeah um last temptation opens with the the insight into the author of the original story and the nature mm-hmm. of this story and that it's it's a bit of a speculative fiction but right. it is definitely a piece of literature and um platoon opens with a quote from ecclesiastes yeah so in both cases you're opening with a quote um, of some sort, a, a statement of some sort, and then going into the story. Uh, and I don't know if that's... Most films don't begin that way. So right. there's a bit of an intentional choice on the part of the people who made these films. Um, that statement kind of helps get your opening frame of mind right, for the film. Right, you're, you're, yeah, you're more ready to accept the message that they want to give you if they give you a prompt up front. It's, it's a like, prompt, yeah. It's like the all of the when, last time when we talked about Dune and Dark Tower, all of the info dump that they did in narration and stuff like mm-hmm. that is giving you a way that they want you to think about the movie in much the same way that these opening quotes give you what they what each director wants you to feel 
about the movie. Now, I know from the reading I did that um, the platoon is an attempt on the part of Oliver Stone to relay his experiences in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me in watching it is that almost all of the characters in Platoon are almost two-dimensional. They're, yeah. They're very... Yeah. Um, it's an iconic this, an iconic that. Right, they're archetypal. Um, right. There's, there's simply no... The point of Platoon is entirely Chris Taylor. Yes. And his experiences. Mm-hmm. Whereas, interestingly enough, you wouldn't think that it would be a... a re- a religious story, especially a um, sort of a New Testament story that would be this way, but many of the characters in Last Temptation of Christ are significantly three-dimensional. Yeah. Um, that you're seeing sides to them, you're not necessarily certain what's going to happen next. But, of course, interestingly enough, that one of the similarities would be that many of the characters beyond that, in you know, beyond that inner circle, um, it the disciples themselves might as well just be one single cutout of 11 people walking around on a little stick. Right. I can tell yeah. you, I can be like, that's Jesus, that's Judas, and be like, maybe that's Peter? Like, right. I don't know. If we're, I mean, I yeah, if they're, if they're pulling so specifically from John, I can say <clears throat> if Jesus says that he loves that one a lot, it's probably John. But right. past that, I got nothing. <laughs> right. So when Peter, James, and John are there at the garden, you can say to yourself, ah, Peter, James, and John. Right. And when people come to the door at the end when Jesus is dying of old age, I was thankful that he identified them by name as they came through the door because there is nothing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, whereas with Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary and Martha, <clears throat> Judas, Lazarus, um, Lazarus, these were these were interesting characters that, like you say, you could not necessarily, even if you knew the source material, you could not definitely say that you knew it was going to happen next. Right. They mm-hmm. were Saul human. too. Yes, at the end when he becomes um, interestingly bitter. Right. It, it is Harry Dean Stanton, so I think in some ways <laughs> he was. Right, he's the, playing. He's playing. Yeah, along with the, type. Yeah, he was awkwardly the least believable of the characters in terms of the portrayal. Right. Even uh, David Bowie as as pilot was a little more <laughs> embraceable. Was the the yeah, face I, makeup was very odd for David Bowie with the lightning bolt across his <laughs> eye. It was weird, but yeah. I thought it fit though. I, I thought was, it was. He still had the um, the Linda McCartney hair, so I'll, <laughs> and I'll take what I get. But um, but now I find it interesting that I would have. In retrospect, if I had had some choices, I think I might have tried maybe another couple of takes to get the the Paul Saul talk a little bit more in line with the tone of the rest of the film. But yeah. still, yeah. what was being shared in terms of words was was very much in keeping. So I, I would agree that he was also not just a, a cutout, an archetype. I thought that that scene with, with Saul... In, at the end of Last Temptation of Christ after Jesus is witnessing his last temptation and Saul is saying, Jesus died, and Jesus is like, nah, dude, I'm um, here. Me. Right. I thought that the, the story that Saul, or the, the point that Saul makes about it doesn't matter what happened, it matters that the story helps people yeah. is similar to after Elias, after Willem Dafoe's character dies in Platoon and Tom Berenger comes into the little hideout that they used to all hang out in, and is like, what are you guys going to do? You're going to, I mean, your options are kill me because if we decide that we're going to go up against like a court martial, it's it's my word against yours, and nobody's going to believe you. It doesn't matter yeah. what the truth is. It matters that I'm a sergeant, and I've been here for forever, and you guys are grunts, and nobody cares. I mean, he even kind of challenges them to try right. something, and Taylor right. doesn't. He gets his ass kicked. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it does present an interesting. Once again, he's the only person in the room that is that. You weren't a hundred percent sure was just going to back off. Yeah, you had this sense that he might, and then of course he does. Um, but but it is interesting to realize he's the only person who has that dynamic aspect to their character. Yeah, mm-hmm. there were a lot of connections that I wrote in my notes for Platoon, of like just one to one analogs of of like scenes from the movie and scenes from at least the Sunday school Bible. Maybe not, you know, 
verses or anything, but stories that they tell you at the beginning. Things like, I think that the village in Platoon is not that unlike when, when Willem Dafoe comes in, he's like, what the hell are you guys doing? This is not how we act. This is not how we act. Is the the throwing of the moneylenders out of the temple. And, oh, yeah. or let's see, I had a couple of other ones. Oh, that when, when, when Charlie Sheen's character is explaining the people that are with him, that it's like the Beatitudes. And... Uh, I thought I had another one. Nope, maybe not. <laughs> uh, but I thought that that was, I thought that, I don't know. I mean, one of the questions that I'm going to ask when we get to questions times is how, how long or how far can we draw out this potential metaphor analogy of Platoon being the story of Jesus. But I thought that, I, I don't, I don't think that those comparisons are without merit. Yeah. So. I would agree. Um, one thing that when Judas is still kind of on the fence about Jesus, about like what he's doing, is like, so what, how do we get the Romans out? Because ultimately he thinks that Jesus is, thinks like he's going to lead the rebellion, we're going to get the Romans out, and more occupation. Um, <clears throat> that Jesus tells them that you have to break the chain of evil. You can't, if we don't change the way we do it, if we just get rid of them, then we're, something just as bad or even worse. Right, there's a power back. The same right. Place. Um, and I thought that that just that idea that hate begets hate. It's interesting you bring that up. Yeah, like, you finish. I'm with, sorry. With the um, the villagers. Yeah. You know, they came and ultimately they found weapons and stuff there that even if those villagers weren't really necessarily happy about any kind of the um, North Vietnamese like soldiers coming through their village yeah after you burn the village down and kill all the people anyone that's left is like yeah I'm gonna support the other guys like what right you guys came in and just destroyed our lives right that that hate begets hate that vicious circle of that and that's what Jesus ultimately is like we need love to break that that's right you can't use hate to combat hate which when Tom Berenger's character dies in Platoon the person that they get to replace him was one of his highest up disciples is John C. McGinley's character mm-hmm. that he was, he was the, he's the biggest sycophant of them all for Tom Berenger's character yeah. that, uh, not only, not only was his leave denied by Tom Berenger, but why, but when Tom Berenger dies, he's now the sergeant in charge of everything. Yeah. And so he he's, had a day left, right? He's <laughs> fucked. Like he's got to be there for forever now. Um, yeah, that's, so it's it's a perfect example of we killed Rome and now we've got another Rome. Yep. Um, I think I thought I had another thing to bring up in the notes, but maybe I didn't. Do you think that there are any apart from the fact that one of them is set um, in the olden times and one of them <laughs> is set in the times of Jesus? <laughs> do you are there any other differences? Um, the main one that I wrote down is that how each movie uses symbolism. Mm-hmm. That there is some in Platoon, but it's not not that overt. And it's not like, oh, yes, I make that connection. It's a, a very simple, in any of the ones that's in there, it's really, really simple. But in Last Temptation, the um, symbols are plentiful, just like in the Bible. Right. Snakes, trees, apples, the flame represents Satan. Right. Like, it's much more on the nose with that. And it, just because the Bible's that way too. Right. Yeah. That when you see a snake, you're never like, I think this, this is a good snake. It's The snake represents sin and evil and right. <laughs> everything else. And how an apple, you're like, oh yeah, apples, that's the original sin too. So... <laughs> One of the things I found interesting is that as you're watching Platoon, my memory of the time of sort of films from the what late seventies into the early nineties is that oftentimes Vietnam was a starting point for another story. Yeah. So mm-hmm. and and oftentimes they didn't even have to be serious, like Magnum PI. All of the main characters in Magnum P.I. were part of the same group in Vietnam. So you watch Magnum P.I. and there's these constant flashbacks to Vietnam. And the Vietnam is this 
this initial starting point for this storyline. There's tons of them. Plus, there's also things like Apocalypse Now, which is really essentially just literature re-imaged as a Vietnam War film. Right. Why In fact, they called the documentary about making it the heart of darkness. Right. So that's all it is. <laughs> that's what it is. We tried to convince our high school teacher to let us see it because it's what we were reading in class. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but what I find interesting about Platoon is that you find yourself wanting to do that, but you're stuck with certain very factual statements being made in the film that make it difficult for you to do much in terms of symbolism. Yeah. I think probably the most significant one being that at the end of the film, there's a dedication to all the people who fought and died in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So there's this sense in which do what you want to, but the person who wrote this film and directed it has dedicated it to all the people that were in Vietnam. This is right. not a starting point for something else. This is not an analogy for something else. Right. Although I certainly saw, because so many of the people are, are archetypes, I saw a dynamic that I, I'm sure we'll be talking about later. But um, what I found interesting with Last Temptation is that there were times where a symbol should mean something but within the context of the film, there were negotiations. Um, and probably mm-hmm. one of the most okay. interesting ones was the axe. Yes. Yeah. And you could make the case that a lot of, there's a tremendous amount of discussion when you look at the biblical story and the involvement of Judas and what was Judas's motivation. And was he trying to push Jesus to step up or was he simply just greedy? Or, I mean, you can go a thousand different ways. I find it interesting within the context of the film that the axe means one thing to Judas and one thing to Jesus, and that they are remarkably intertwined in terms of you can see how similar they are. But my guess is, within the context of the story, as this human, Judas, begins to understand how significantly different Jesus' interpretation of the axe is, that... that whether or not that betrayal was at Jesus' request, Judas understood that Jesus was misunderstanding the image of the axe and needed to be pushed. Yeah. He could have still walked away. Sure. He chose yeah. not to. Right. Um, and I think that you come out with, some, with other symbols too, like the concept of Mary Magdalene and the concept of, of her role which is very similar in some ways to Jesus' role as the person making the cross. These are people who are clearly outside the accepted boundaries mm-hmm. of Jewish behavior. Right. But at the same time, this image of Jesus making the cross is also tied into this idea, at least in the context of the film, that he feels that his destiny is is bound up with the cross. Right. Whereas Mary Magdalene is just not an idiot. Right. At the end of the day, you got to put food on the table. And if a Roman won't drop by your house on a Sunday and pay you for services rendered, but the Jews won't, then you're going to, you're going to work for the Romans on Sundays. Right. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you say that because there was a part of my notes that I forgot to say on my notes for Last Temptation of Christ, that when Judas says something about we need to free Jerusalem, sort of half-jokingly, I have written in my notes, that Jesus says you can't win in Vietnam, you just got to make sure you stay sane. Right. That the idea isn't, isn't that, I mean, yes, Jesus says we need to fight this hate with love, but also that's probably, for people that aren't Jesus, the easiest way to stay alive in an oppressive regime, mm-hmm. or at the very least to make sure that your life means something. Mm-hmm. That Mary knew, Mary knew that to start a fight meant that I mean, she got stoned to death. They were gonna do that to her until Jesus said, "Don't." But it's the idea of self-preservation is evident in both movies. Yeah, for sure. I did find myself thinking. I probably didn't. I don't remember thinking this the first time I saw Platoon, but about midway through when they're at base camp and I'm thinking to myself, this is like the worst summer camp 
<laughs> but it's very believable that it's summer camp. Right. You know, yeah. you, you have that 50-mile hike you have to go on, and you hate that. And some people don't come back. But then you come back and you're slopping latrines and you're eating bad food and you're sitting up with your friends and you're laughing and you're reading a book and you know you're doing all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, at the same take a time, bong hit out of a gun. Right. I did that at summer camp. <laughs> right. There you go. At the same time, I found it interesting that I'm watching the beginning of Last Temptation, thinking we've got this setup here where people just sort of wander through Israel, being messianic. Right. How exactly does that work? And Oddly enough, by the end of the film, you're like, no, I get it. It works. So, <laughs> Any other uh, overt differences? Um, actually, I think another similarity is how they both portray like an acceptance of fate. Whereas in Platoon, it's more of none of the soldiers want to die, but most of them have accepted that that's a very real possibility while they're over here. Yeah. Um, and even just the acceptance of other people's death. Like when that other recruit dies in the very first fight they have, they talk about it and then no one talks about it again. Like they have yeah. accepted he's, he's done. dead. Right. There's we got shit we, we got to do today. Watch our that own was backs right. and each other's backs and forget about that guy. And then, I mean, the obvious one in um, um, Last Temptation is Jesus ultimately accepts his place on the cross, but also that Judas accepts his purpose that when like when he's telling Jesus is telling him you're it has to be you that betrayed me right he's like why I'm not why don't you do it you're the Messiah you're the strong one he's like because you're stronger than I am like right only you're the only person that would have the that could even think about doing that because you you have to be strong because he loves him right platoon is green platoon is green last temptation of grace is brown it's very beige <laughs> super <Yes>. beige <laughs> yes also, there's a lot more trees in Platoon. Yes, but not not none in... No. In fact, no. I realized that the other thing that I had said about one-to-one direct analogs between Platoon and, and the story of Jesus mm-hmm. is that the Garden of Gethsemane is where Tom Berenger kills Willem Dafoe. It's the only other place there's trees in the Jesus story. That's <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> and in a way, the old Jesus does die there. Right. And the new Jesus comes out of it. Right. Although... In the this one, Jesus it's that Willem Dafoe dies, dies really and then they realize that he wasn't actually dead, so they kill die. him again. <laughs> so my guess, just sort of off-topic here for our listeners, would be that you don't have as many cats trying to participate in this. <laughs> no, no cats. No cats when we do this. We are we are at a remote location here <laughs> for this podcast, a good six minutes away by car at my parents' house, and they have mini cats. Right. So we just have second, ice cream trucks. So if you hear a little jingle, cat. that's right. the fluffy cat. Right. The rest yes. of them are pretty silent. They usually, yeah. <laughs> right. Unless they're hungry. True. All right. Uh, I guess we can move on to questions. Do you, do you... I have a couple of questions. I have one question. All right. So my question is, how do you feel about the idea of a sympathetic Judas? A Judas that... Maybe he isn't burning in hell, like because right. he betrayed Jesus. He, that he didn't do it for greed, that he did it for love, that ultimately God needed someone to play that role, someone because Jesus had to be will, had to willingly go yeah. when confronted with it like a lamb to the slaughter. That just how do you feel about that idea? That you and I have talked about this before. Yes. I'm very on board with this idea. It's it's why I like Jesus Christ Superstar right. so much as well. Yeah. The idea that in theory, semantically and what good is a podcast if not full of semantics? Um, if Jesus had to die for all of our sins to be forgiven, mm-hmm. then somebody had to betray him, which means that Judas is just as responsible for the fact that we can live life and be forgiven by our sin, for our sins as Jesus is. Maybe a little bit less. Eh. <laughs> 49, 51%. <laughs> I think um, that the film does a, a remarkably good job portraying the complexity initially of the idea that Jesus is a human mm-hmm. who's trying to wrap his head around an increasingly undeniable awareness that he's also God's son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, a tremendous complexity there. Add to that the complexity of the friendships that are hinted at in terms of when you read the scripture, but you see a lot more complexity. Um, 
but the nature of the story surrounding Judas is significantly complex because although it's been a bit I in terms of what I remember Judas is not the zealot in the original right well. Simon is because mm-hmm. so, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar uh, the song is titled Simon Zelotti's song guessing Simon is the zealot there we go <laughs> but in, the, in this film um, our first real introduction to Judas is when he attempts to rescue the guy that's going to be crucified. Yeah. yeah. Um, we also have an understanding that Judas is at least somewhat obligated to kill Jesus if he doesn't stop with the crosses. Right. And the obligation comes from his relationship with the Zealots. Um, I don't remember that it was Judas there that that kills Lazarus again, but it was the zealots, so certainly right. the association. So this puts an interesting spin on it insofar as any Roman soldier who's been around for a while would at least have a working knowledge that Judas is a zealot. Right. So when he goes to tell the Romans where they can find Jesus... He's bartering information for his own safety. Yeah. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, and although they don't particularly deal with it, there is the historic realization that he's also paid for yeah. the information. Right. Um, and they got to make it look real. You got to make yeah, it look real. Well, and and then there is this other awkward thing of what's Judas processing? That is Judas going there specifically because Jesus says, "I need you to go." Mm-hmm. Is Judas going because Jesus says to him, you promised you would kill me if I stepped out of line. I need you to understand that this has to happen. Right. Is Judas doing it because he and Jesus fundamentally disagree on the axe analogy? Or is there something different beyond that? Or is it intermixed? What... I don't think you ever really walk away thinking to yourself, nah, Judas was just doing what Jesus asked him to do. Yeah. yeah. But I also don't think you walk away thinking, see, I knew it. Judas was a bad guy. Yeah. Uh, there's also, interestingly enough, no follow-up as opposed to the Bible where you're given two potentially compatible but two stories about Judas's death, right. neither of which figure in at all in this story right Mm -hmm. so there isn't any sense that Judas is overwhelmed by his behavior and has to kill himself there's no sense that um, that there's a cultural mandate for him to be killed there's none of those kinds of things whereas in this film as far as you know he lives and except although obviously this is the part that happened entirely in Jesus's head in theory when he is tempted by Satan to come off the cross in that storyline, Judas does live right. far longer. Judas right. is the one that pushes him to go back to the cross, right. which I guess could yeah. be merely Jesus's conscience reminding him you should have done the thing in the first place. Right. But yes. um, at least in that story, in in that vision in Jesus's head, Judas does not feel remorseful in theory, maybe because Jesus feels like Judas should be forgiven outright for anything that he's done, as mm-hmm. should all people. And so, of course, he doesn't deserve to die. And in Dante's Inferno, Jesus, or Judas ends up in one of the three mouths of Satan just being chewed on and clawed up for forever. Right. That probably hurt. Which, also as an aside, I always think it's funny that the other two people in the other two mouths are Brutus and Cassius, because apparently, according to Dante, betraying Caesar is just as bad as betraying Jesus. Well, they, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it is interesting to realize that around um, of Holy Week, it's not uncommon to have uh, sermons indicating that the significant difference between Peter's denials and Judas' betrayal is that somehow Peter is capable of opening himself to the potential of future relationship with Jesus, whereas something has occurred in Judas, whether it's remorse or hatred or whatever, that he simply cannot see himself ever having a relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, 
partially that goes with the traditional understanding of the the grievous harm and and sin associated with suicide, but um, these this is not something that that the last temptation of Christ gives you any opportunity in part because Peter is is very flat in the story. We do get a brief glimpse on the betrayal or the denial. Yeah, but, right. But yeah, but it's it's clearly slow. not the important part. Right. Yeah. Whereas you get a lot more with Judas and almost nothing post-betrayal to give you any sense of, so what does this mean? Right. Because it ends right as Jesus dies on the cross. Right. right. Um, interesting follow-up question on my questions about Platoon. Uh, is Tom Berenger evil in Platoon? Is Sergeant Barnes evil? I think that... Ultimately, he he's has a lot of evil behavior, but that he is a product of war, of the Nam, of his time in Vietnam, and I'm sure even before that, it he strikes me as the kind of guy that was like a real macho man. Like I'm right. sure his granddad and father served in World War One and Two. Right. He, someone mentions that. I, th- I think that's the main character that mentions. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure his I'm sure he had that military culture, and I'm sure that played into deeply into the way that he thought war should be run in the way that a war should go okay and ultimately his behavior which is well in the context of the story and greater morals is evil and wrong i don't think he's necessarily it's his fault for that it, like of course partially his fault he makes these conscious decisions right. but right. that they're they're done from something more deep-seated than that yeah i when I knew what we were going to be discussing in terms of the, the carryover between Willem Dafoe and Willem Dafoe, right? Um, I the was Willems. watching. I was watching Platoon specifically to look for that, and I would say that the closest we get for Willem Dafoe is the the death scene with his arms up, right? Which, um, although I haven't taken the full step to finish the research, Wikipedia tells me is actually based on a photograph from. The Vietnam era, so okay. it's not specifically just an analogy of sorts. Um, so I started looking at, you know, again that idea that um, Oliver Stone reigns us in with his final dedication, yeah, and um, and then of course gives us the tagline in the film that the first victim of war is your innocence, and um, found myself thinking, okay, since since among other things, one of the the topics that was talked about when the film first came out was the idea that this is a first-person narrative clearly designed to share his experiences in which, oh, by the way, he admits to killing his commanding sergeant. Right. So so what's what's going on here? And if, the, if that event there, that sort of, you only know if you were there, which, mm-hmm. interestingly, as you look back, so many of... The other war films just don't have that, but there was always that sense that if you served in World War II, when there wasn't anybody around, you could sit and talk and grieve and cry about the things that only the people in World War II could understand. Yeah. And in and in a war where, and they mentioned in the film about fragging barns, in a war where it's understood that on more than one occasion, if you had made enough people angry, a hand grenade got rolled into your tent. Right. Um, There's a term for it. For right. Writing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so I started looking at, at what I was, what the thought process was, and if you follow Taylor's notes to his his grandmother, it starts off as a kid who's coming in incredibly idealistic, and as I understand it, very similar to Oliver Stone, upper middle class, trying to find himself decides to do exactly what the grunts do even though the grunts didn't have a choice right he decides to choose to be a grunt and within essentially days of getting there his innocence is gone and i think what you see in that village is a person trying to find a new structure psychologically when he has no more innocence Um, but that what's interesting to me is that it's not so much the Christology of Elias or the demonology of Barnes, but that Elias is sort of our best self. Yeah. And Barnes is our worst self. And that after your innocence dies, tragically enough, your worst your worst self kills your best self. And yes. when you finally accept that that's what your worst self has done, 
you own responsibility for your own life and you kill your worst self and you move on. And in that sense, I wouldn't call... It would be very difficult to look at Elias or Barnes and see them as as attempts to describe specific individuals, although I'm sure there were best selves in Vietnam and right. worst yes. selves. Right. But that, um, but that Barnes, I think you said earlier, the two angels on the shoulder, the idea that we have this best self and this worst self, it's interesting to me that the best self uh, can't help but kill the worst self. And that, that as he's heading out, He's indicating that he is a product of both his best self and his worst self. Right. But he has also admitted that he has killed his worst self and anticipates that, well, and hopes that the experience that he's had will lead him to better things. So a a hope for a return to the best self, at least in part, Mm -hmm. but recognizing that he is a product of of best and worst self. Okay. So, and, and I guess, you know, is Barnes bad? Well, if he's worse self, he has to be bad. Yes. Um, but if but he's some, a possibility that anyone could become him, right? Right. Type thing. Right. And we look back and we recognize <clears throat> that our worst selves, our worst selves, have accomplished many things in this world. And sometimes, two or three generations later, we forget that it was our worst self that did it. And right. We we benefit from what maybe our worst self did. But the truth is. At the time, it's very difficult to see anything except, in retrospect, this guy was really bad, unsympathetically mm-hmm. bad. Um, he was evil to everybody, including his sycophant first sergeant helper. Yeah. How far do you... Okay, so we've talked about it, and obviously I told you guys that I... I picked these movies because I felt that Willem Dafoe was a messiah character in Platoon. But I don't think that I've heard from you guys definitively yet if you agree or not. Hmm. Do you agree or do you disagree? I would agree. Yeah? Um, but it still feels very different. I don't know if I agree because I went into with that mindset or if I agree because that's like a conclusion I came to myself. Valid. <laughs> no, that's valid. I'll give you the 30 seconds where he's running out of the jungle as a Christ character with a very novel twist on the Christ story. Okay. That... For that period of time, you can accept that Judas, Satan, whatever, has attempted to kill Jesus. Jesus is being killed by the ruling whatever. Right. He's got his hands up. Why have you forsaken me? And oddly enough, they leave him in hell. Right. (laughs) Well, in theory, I mean... Same with Last Temptation of Christ and Jesus Christ Superstar and Passion of the Christ and the other Passion story. They tend not to show the resurrection. True. But, mm-hmm. but then you watch honest. on Easter Sunday. Like I say, let's be honest. Until we normalized relationship with Vietnam 30 years later, they didn't get Elias' body back. Right. Yeah. Right. So is in with your lukewarm yeses, <laughs> I'm going to guess that... That, that this metaphor for you guys does not go much deeper than that. You can say on... Oh, go ahead. I, I'm, I'm inclined to shy away from metaphors in Platoon because the he final dedication the end, right. doesn't really allow you a lot of room for metaphor. Right, he says, I abhor metaphor in, in all forms. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that sense in which... For that short period of time, he's pulling a scene that might put you in the mindset of they're killing Jesus. Right. But they're also killing the best part of ourselves as the worst part of ourselves stares us down and berates us because we knew all along what had really happened and we Mm -hmm. didn't do anything about it. Right. So... Whether that's a Christ character, Christ characters are funny because you know, 
you look at Last Temptation of Christ, you say, is Willem Dafoe a Christ character? Well, yes. <laughs> I don't know that you can have a Christ character in a film that matches the idea of a Christ character in a film if that film, you know, happens to be a Jesus film. Okay. <laughs> right, right. Hello, of course he's a right. Christ character. But then, but the do you think Jim Caviezel plays Jesus in Passion? <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> yes. So, it, you know... Christ characters are elusive at best. Yeah. That is, is Aragorn a Christ character or is Gandalf the Christ character? Or yes. is it that we are aware that the person who wrote it had convictions about his Christianity but also wasn't a big fan of a strong analogy? Right. And so... Christology is somewhat elusive. Sometimes it's Frodo, sometimes it's Aragorn, sometimes it's Gandalf, sometimes it's Sam. Um, yes. Rarely Pippin or Mary. Rarely yeah. Pippin. Right. But sometimes. Yeah. Only Jesus could eat four Limbus breads. breads. Right. <laughs> Aslan is clearly a Christ character. At the same time, I'm comfortable saying that because even if you don't get that he's a Christ character, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is a wonderful story. Right. So, if you watch The Last Temptation of Christ and think to yourself, now, was Willem Dafoe a Christ character? I think you missed the point of the book. <laughs> uh, and at the same time, if if you walk away from Platoon and never once give any serious thought to those 30 seconds being a Christology, so what? You know. Okay. Um, but, I, I don't know, that's, that's where Christologies become awkward. That the more elusive they are the more you ask yourself why am I worried about it the more concrete they are the more you're like well okay but it's so obvious I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to do with it outside of just to embrace the fact that Jesus is Christ right so do you have any questions for us um yes okay so here we go right In both cases, these films were cast, delayed, and recast. Okay. But, hmm. interestingly enough, according to the notes that I have, Charlie Sheen wanted to play Chris Taylor in Platoon, and they they didn't let him because they felt he was too young. But then the film got delayed because, like anything, or, well, because the studios, to a certain extent, said... Like, we need another Vietnam film. <laughs> but Stone agreed to do some other stuff, and right. they let him go. Well, that delay made it so that Charlie Sheen was old enough to play the character. Oh. Which puts you in a weird situation to recognize that the other sort of... Well, if you if you look at Vietnam films, you've got Full Metal Jacket, Apocalypse Now, and Platoon. Martin Sheen is the main character in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Now... What does that do for you as a viewer? If anything, to me, that I'll take the Willem Dafoe connection with Platoon and Last Temptation of Christ, except that Willem Dafoe was not the original cast person right. for Last Temptation, although he was an amazingly good match yeah. to the part. But if Charlie Sheen was going to be and then not going to be and then was the main character for Platoon and his dad was the main character for Apocalypse Now is it possible that in putting together Platoon Oliver Stone had to deal with the fact that he was dealing with an almost visual identical to this other person from this other film that's interesting because as you were lining, as you were setting up the question my thought was going to be something about I thought you were going to ask something about does this maybe explain why Charlie Sheen wanted to do Platoon so bad. Maybe it is. Yeah. The idea that there's a there's a line in an interview with... It was on the Graham Norton show, so it had a whole bunch of people that he was interviewing all at once. And um, what's his name? He's House. Hugh Laurie uh, asks Ice Cube if it was interesting that his son played Ice Cube in Straight Outta Compton, yeah. as sons always want to... All sons often look up to their fathers and want to be like their fathers. Yeah. Did Charlie Sheen take? Did Charlie Sheen ask to be in Platoon? 
in much the same way Charlie Sheen's character went to Vietnam right. because his dad had done platoon yeah. because his dad had gone to World War One. But that helps you act in a, in a, right in that in a situation like that. Yeah, it's interesting though that 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 does set Oliver Stone up for comparisons even more than the idea of it being a Vietnam movie because you could the same argument about oh it's a Vietnam movie just like Apocalypse Now is the same thing that they said about Full Metal Jacket I would assume and Full Metal Jacket doesn't have that same comparison does this could it could almost be seen all except for the fact that they say that Charlie Sheen goes home you could almost look at this as some sort of spiritual successor that because Martin Sheen's character in in Full or in Apocalypse Now is a much more seasoned member of the American forces in Vietnam, he is the more mature version of Charlie Sheen. Father like son? Yeah. Yeah, and the visual is stunningly similar. It had been a while since I'd seen either film. Yeah. After watching Platoon, um, I I went ahead and watched the first few minutes of Apocalypse Now. Yeah. And they are the same person. Huh. Um, just visually, they are the same person. So down to the haircut, they're the same person. <laughs> How many years apart do you have? Do you have that uh, off the top of your head? I'm going to go with somewhere along the lines of maybe. Let's see what platoon is eighty six and is Apocalypse now somewhere around seventy eight. So it's not even ten years apart. Okay, so in theory, Martin Sheen is probably a little bit older than Charlie Sheen is. Yeah. In the movie, but potentially not, not too much older. Right. That's super interesting. Apocalypse Now is 79. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Do you think Forrest Whitaker got tired of being in Vietnam films? <laughs> you, be right. you be in enough Vietnam films and they make you king of... Yeah. yeah. Or you go and you live in the outskirts of Jeddah. Right. True. Oh, he's he's seen a lot of war yeah. by that point. He's... Yeah. That's why he learned Bushido code for when he was a, a, a hitman samurai and ghost dog. <laughs> but he still can't start a cheat. No. <laughs> but there's a that's a good morning Vietnam thing. So, I think I mean I had one more question, but I don't think that it's relevant. And we're getting actually surprisingly close to a time that's relevant to stop. Did you guys do either of you have anything more to say? Um, I was going to say that yes, question about how deep the analogy goes. Yeah. For me, and I think this is only because. My religious and biblical background is very different than both of your guys's. That this is a very skin deep comparison for me. Okay. But I think that is more of a. I'm not as familiar with the source material. Like when you said, this is like this, this is like this. I'm like, I know one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One of, one of the things I found interesting in terms of reading up on both films was the commentary on well commentary from reviewers on Last Temptation because clearly the religious community was not happy oh yeah no right. but um, one of the, the reviews was the Siskel and Ebert review and their statement was that um, that Scorsese who had apparently always wanted to do a, a Jesus film and then was given the book by the actress who played Mary Magdalene um, that their review of it was that Scorsese had done an amazing favor to the Jesus story in that it was one of the few, if any, the uh, Jesus films that actually took Jesus seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there was a part of me as I'm watching the film thinking, this is such a compelling portrayal that in some ways you watch this film and, and you walk away thinking, even if I'm not a person who has a literal conviction about the New Testament, I find this person a little too compelling to not want to at least go back and reevaluate how I feel about the New Testament. Honestly, that's how I felt when I saw it. A very interesting portrayal. Um, A little odd sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, a little little more like... um, more like Kubrick than I thought it was going to be. Um, <laughs> yeah, Kubrick does Final Graph, um, but <laughs> I was surprised at how 
very engaging the story was. It was the first time I'd ever seen it. I I had been an adult in the church when it was released, and so I experienced from from person who was in that culture the the real aggressive pushback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that at that time the pushback was across the board. It wasn't any one segment of Christianity. There was a right. lot of pushback yeah. from everyone. And then you watch it now and you think, you don't think to yourself, I wonder what the pushback was about. Because you know yeah. what the pushback oh, yeah. was right. about. <laughs> but what's interesting is that you're thinking, okay, so I get that the pushback was that... Jesus sees boobies. Yeah, that, you know, that the, these human aspects of Jesus that we kind of sometimes are uncomfortable acknowledging might have existed right. and that he might have wanted to get married or these sorts of things. Right. It's like what mom says. It never says that Jesus went to the bathroom in the Bible, but he probably did. He yeah. probably <laughs> did. Yeah. But what I found interesting in watching the film is that, that you don't find yourself arguing so much with the, the people who were detractors because you see what it was that they saw and you think to yourself, okay, now fair enough. For you. Right. But sure. at the same time, you're thinking to yourself, in spite of all of these things you said about the film, I'm hard-pressed to find a better, more engaging, more compelling Christ story on film. Yeah. Yeah. Except for, for Superman. Yeah, but <laughs> what are you going to do with Ned Beatty, right? Who is Ned Beatty? Is he like the stupid Roman? What do you do? Yeah. All right, well, I think that's it. Do we nail down what, what the end thing is going to be yet? Is it just stay curious? Keep don't don't hate movies. Or you could do stay curious and don't hate movies. Happy trails. Happy trails. Happy trails. Yeah, happy trails. Don't hate movies. Stay curious. Happy trails. <laughs> don't we'll just add movies. a new one each one. Don't take any wooden nickels. Don't stay curious. Any bras. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you. We love you. <laughs>